Today's episode is sponsored by By Heart, which is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. In our house, we never skim on family time together on the weekends. Instead of racing around crazy, we prioritize time at home, time to relax, time to do fun, crazy things that we wouldn't have ordinarily. And you know who else doesn't skim? By heart. By heart is the only American-made infant formula with globally sourced ingredients to use organic, grass-fed whole milk without a drop of skim. Whole milk is full of healthy fats like naturally occurring MFGM, which play an important role in baby's brain development and growth. Are you curious about ByHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with codename Zibby20 for a limited time. Hi, this is Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, and I'm the editor of the anthology, which you should run out and buy, called Moms Don't Have Time to, a quarantine anthology. All proceeds of that book go to COVID-19 vaccine research. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Moms Don't Have Time to Write, a new publication on Medium, and we're accepting submissions, so please send your personal essays there. And if all that isn't enough, you can follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens, and my website is zibbyowens.com. Okay, now back to this amazing podcast. Today's sponsor is the Baby Trend Cover Me 4-in-1 Convertible Car Seat. This car seat is so unique. It addresses the number one complaint by experienced mothers, which I believe I am, which is sun in your kid's eyes, which is something that, of course, drives them nuts. And you're not going to want to put, like, what baby sunglasses on. That's never really worked for me. Um, along with the canopy, the Cover Me has a usage rating from 4 to 100 pounds. So you can use it for a long time and can be used infant rear-facing, toddler rear-facing, forward-facing, and belt positioning booster. The Cover Me also has a very convenient recline system, which includes a zero radio base and integrated recline flip foot. I don't exactly know what that means, but that's okay. The system allows the children to find a position comfortable to them and also limits the amount of space taken up by the seat when in rear-facing position. Basically, it's just an amazing car seat, and I wish I had had this when my kids were little enough to fit into car seats. It makes parents' and kids' life much easier. It's just amazing, um, and it has a UPF 50-plus on the canopy so your kids don't get a sunburn either. So your kids will love sitting in it. They can interact with everybody in the car, and it protects you both rear and forward-facing. There is a special 20% off code, which is COVERME20, if you go to babytrend.com slash OSA, O-S-S-A. That's H-T-T-P-S double slash babytrend.com slash O-S-S-A and put in the code COVERME20, capital C, cover, capital M-Me, the number 20. Also, I'm giving away one of these car seats. So if you or anyone you know is having a baby soon and would like a new car seat, which is something that you have to get when you, as soon as you're pregnant, um, I am giving one away. To win the giveaway, just write a review and give a rating to my podcast, preferably a five-star rating and a really nice review if you don't mind. Extra credit. If you do the same thing for my Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight podcast and my Moms Don't Have Time to Have Sex podcast, if you could do five-star ratings and reviews for all of those podcasts, oh my gosh, um, you will definitely be at the top of the list for entering this giveaway, and then we will pick at random. So enter the giveaway, use the code if you just want to get the percent off and order it right away, and again, Baby Trend, cover me, four-in-one, convertible car seat. 
go for it. It's June. Happy June 1st, everybody. Welcome to my June Book Blast, where I'll be releasing multiple podcast episodes a day, all based around a certain theme. And today's theme is Happy Pub Day. This is the Pub Day release for four books that are all coming out today, June 1st. Christine Mangan, Rebecca Stafford, Nicola Yoon, and Zakiya Harris. So enjoy today's June 1st Book Blast. Christine Mangan is author of Palace of the Drowned. She's also author of the national bestseller Tangerine. She has her PhD in English from the University College Dublin with a focus on 18th century Gothic literature and holds an MFA in fiction writing from the University of Southern Maine. Welcome, Christine. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Palace of the Drowned, a novel. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. It's so funny. When I first read the pitch for this book, even over email, I was like, oh, I'd like to spend some some time in Venice. That sounds great. everyone's thinking that right about now. Too. Right? Oh my gosh. Well, for listeners who aren't familiar with Palace of the Drowned quite yet, can you tell them a little bit about what this book is about and also what inspired you to write it? Sure. I'm always so bad at it. I'm sorry. I always put people on. Yeah. I don't always do this. I, and I, as I was asking this question, I was like, oh boy, I'm putting her on the spot here. I'm really sorry about that. <laughs> how much do you reveal? How much do you not give away? But basically it follows the main character, Frankie who is a writer and she has just uh, kind of where we meet her has just published her most recent novel, which has not been very well received. The numbers are kind of down. She gets a review that she considers to be quite savage and quite upsetting. And she wants to get away from it all essentially. And she leaves her home in London and travels to Venice to kind of try to start something new, try to kind of distance herself from from what's happened. And ultimately, this kind of silence that she's able to find is interrupted and broken by someone who is also from London and claims that they know each other, that they've met. And Frankie doesn't quite remember this. And she kind of questions whether this, this woman is telling the truth. And then it kind of just evolves from there without giving too much away. Yeah. I know. I, I love that scene. She's like, wait, I thought that daughter was blonde, but okay, fine. Yeah. You know, maybe it's her. Yeah. A moment where you don't want to say, I don't remember you, but yeah. So she's got kind of questions in her mind. And I came to the story, I think Frankie was the first thing that kind of solidified for me. She was kind of what I started with. And I knew right away that kind of who she was going to be and what her character was going to be like. And I knew that I wanted to essentially use her to explore basically the relationship between a writer and their work. And at that point where it's kind of not just yours anymore, you know, it's, it's gone through the editing process. So you have kind of all these different voices helping to shape and define what the final product is going to be. And then it's also gone into the public. So you have people who have not just read it, but critiqued it. And that's where we meet Frankie, you know, when she's dealing kind of with with all of this and kind of how does she move past what's happened and, and go on to the next. And so that was something that I really wanted to explore. And I knew that I wanted to put her somewhere other than London. I wanted her to go somewhere that was kind of isolated, but I actually, I wasn't sure where at first. With my first book, it was very much 
Tangier kind of came first and then everything followed. Whereas this, I had the idea for the story and the characters, but I didn't really know where I wanted her to be. And I tried out a few different places. They didn't seem right. And then I was thinking a couple of years ago, I was living in Dubai. I was working there at a university and my friend who she's an academic and she specializes in Italian art history. And she was telling me we were sitting outside under the sweltering sun of Dubai in the humidity. It's just kind of like, she wears a sweater. She's fine. I was like boy red, <laughs> drinking with my, like trying to drink my hot tea, hoping it would like cool me down. And she started telling me about Venice in the winter. And she started telling me how, you know, cold and dark and rainy and very gothic it is and that I would love it and I should go. And up until that point, I'd only been to Venice once and just briefly, my partner and I were, we were in Slovenia and we drove over for a day trip, kind of parked the car, took the train in, spent a day, it was June, so it was very touristy kind of spent a day walking around. We sat down, had two beers. We paid like $30, you know, the musicians and everything outside. And I was like, okay, I'm done. Like I've seen enough and we left, but I just started thinking about what she told me. And then also the idea that you can't really know a place, you know, in an afternoon, even a week. And so I was kind of intrigued to go back because it was a place that I necessarily, you know, didn't want to go back to, but I was like, okay, let's do it. Let's go see. And my friend who has spent a lot of time there. She wrote up this like really intensive, essentially like a tour book for me, you know, all these kind of little things that you wouldn't necessarily get anywhere else. And I think just all of that, you know, I got there and I was like, this is it. This is the perfect place for, for where I want to set the novel. It's strangely isolated and kind of like its own little bubble. You know, you're away from the mainland. You feel very like remote. And I think, this takes place in the 1960s as well. So you got to figure that's even, you know, the feeling of remoteness would be even more so. And so I spent some time there and that just kind of the rest of the novel evolved from that. Wow. Well, I love that you made the rest of us reading it feel like we were now sort of local Venetians. Like I love <laughs> when you talked about, you know, the real Venetian women sort of coming out of hiding when all the tourists <laughs> left and like that. creeping out and how glamorous they actually were in their own right. And, you know, how you're supposed to go in the back and never sit in the front of cafes and like go to some bar <laughs> in the back to get coffee or something. And I don't know, all these little tidbits. I was like, oh, if I ever go back to Venice, like now I'm going to have all this, all these secrets. <laughs> <laughs> well, you really made Venice, I mean, this sounds so trite, but like you really made Venice such a character in this book, but it's true. I mean, the streets and getting lost and the dead ends that Frankie would arrive at and the the places she visits and even the where she lives at like the castle, not not castle, what do you always call it? The Palazzo. Palazzo. Yeah, yeah. I see. Yeah, very similar. Yeah. I mean, it just felt so real and so vivid. So I just loved it in ter- as, as like an escapist, whatever. But then mixed with the literary was so great. And I was re- while I was reading it, I was like, um, I wonder if Christine got like a really bad review one day and was like, what if? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I will say some of that kind of, I think I love writing. It's like the only thing I've ever really wanted to do. But the whole part, that happens after you turn in the book, I'm not great with. And it makes me very anxious and very nervous. And definitely that helped kind of shape this novel and just everything that, you know, that happened when Tangerine came out. I mean, I was very, everyone knows, I don't want to see reviews. I don't want to even know that they exist. I did have some sent to me and it was just kind of like, 
it's, it's terrible. It's a terrible feeling. And like, I don't know, oh, it's hard to explain, but it's just, it's the worst because it's public and it's out there and it's like, everyone can see that. And it's just the worst feeling in the world. There were, there were a couple of nights spent like hysterically crying in the shower. (laughs) I mean, so all of that, you know, I kind of wanted to, to put into this. And so I think Frankie's probably a lot tougher than I am. (laughs) Well, in different ways, maybe, but yeah, that definitely went into shaping the book. In this scene, I just wanted to read this one little passage from when she found out about the review. And you said at first, Frankie tried to forget about the review, tried to push it out of her mind, but she always, but she had always had a tendency to fixate, to obsess. That day she had cleaned her entire flat from top to bottom when the house was spotless and she could find nothing where to spare Paula, she decided to contact her editor. And then you went on in the next page. He had said, go home and get a good night's sleep and don't worry about it. And you say, Frankie had smirked at the idea and upon arriving home, done the very opposite of what her editor proposed by not sleeping at all that night. Instead, she had sat up reading and rereading the review until she knew it by heart, smoking the entire pack of players Navy cut that she had palmed when leaving his office hating the slim counterparts that were marketed now towards women. In the morning, eyes red and puffy, she threw the review into the rubbish bin outside, shut the door behind her, and made herself that suggested cup of tea. (laughs) (laughs) I read that. I was like, I wonder if this happened in some way she performed. This is feeling very real to me, this little passage. (laughs) I mean, the thing about reviews is like, like people just feel that they're not hurting anyone's feelings or they don't care, right? It's like people, I don't, I don't know. I got this review from my anthology. I I assembled this anthology with essays from people from the podcast and I hadn't checked out my Amazon reviews until like last week. (laughs) There's this this (laughs) one review and it was like, the best thing about this is that it's it's a cold day in spring and I'm out of Duraflames. So I can use this as like the kindling for the fire I'm about to build. And I was like, what? No. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. I'm just like, I, what do people even with these reviews? I don't know. But anyway, for Frankie, of course, it set her off on this path of sort of yeah. no turning yeah. back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting kind of, in my, in my former life, when I was in academia, I spent a lot of time looking at the relationship between authors and reviewers. And I mean, it's always, it's not like it's new. It's just, I mean, it's always existed and it's always something that, that has influenced writers that they've been aware of. I mean, I looked at certain authors in the 18th century who actually put in author's notes kind of meant to win their favor with reviewers. I mean, so it's always kind of in the back of everyone's mind, whether they want to, you know, admit it or not. I think it's always something that, you know, you don't want to be writing for them, but I mean, everyone's always aware and always thinking about it. Wait, so you've had this completely international existence. Like, how did you end up teaching in Dubai? Like, where did you grow up? Like, take me through your sort of the short version of your life story. Okay, we can't bubble wrap our kids to keep them safe, but we can give ourselves some peace of mind now with the Life 360 app, which I am obsessed with. I first heard about this from a girlfriend at a party who told me that this was the app to use. So I got it. And now I am obsessed. It's a family connection and safety app that lets you track the people and things that are most important to you. And it's much more than sharing location. It is about safety. It keeps families connected and protected throughout the day. 
Plus, it helps you find your things. So I have tiles, one of which I put on my phone, which I lose 100 times a day, and I can find it through the app whenever I lose it. Also, it lets me put in locations of interest. So I get alerts when my kids reach school after taking the bus, or when my husband gets to LA, or whoever you want to track. You can do it with Life360 and feel very protected and safe and it makes life better. It makes peace of mind better. Life360 has my family's back when they're on the road, and I can track their stuff too if I need to. Plus, of course, it's a lifeline during emergencies because you can have crash detection to know if one of the kids is in an accident and with two almost driver's license kids, that is super important to me too. So put away the bubble wrap and protect your loved ones with Life360. Visit life360.com or download the app today and use code BOOKS, B-O-O-K-S, all caps, to get one month of the gold package for free, plus 15% off all tiles. That's life360.com, code BOOKS. I grew up mainly in Metro Detroit. I lived in Long Island, North Carolina for a bit as well. And then I went to Bennington for a year for college, which I wrote about in Tangerine. And then I ended up in Chicago and I was teaching at a university, but just kind of part-time. And I realized I needed a PhD to, to ever be full-time because I had done I in for my BA and my MFA, I did creative writing, but I think I thought that, well, that's not really ever going to happen. So I need an actual job. So I went to Dublin for my PhD and I was there for four years And then Dubai was just, it it was honestly the best offer that I got. They're quite generous in what they offer. And so I, it was just, it was good timing. It was bad timing. It was, I had submitted my book to my agent and she had, you know, said, I love this. Let's, you know, work on it. Let's get it sent out. And it was literally as I was going to Dubai. And so everything happened when we sold the Tangerine, it was within like the first couple weeks of, of working in Dubai. So I was kind of juggling both of those and it was, it was intense and the time difference and everything. It was a strange time. Wow. Yeah. And then how long were you there? Then where did you go? I was in Dubai for just for the year. And then I came back and I was in New York for, in Brooklyn for two years. And then my partner and I, we put all our stuff in storage and we went to Asia in 2019, at the end of 2019. So we got a couple of good months in before COVID started popping up. And then we, cause we were in, I think we were in Hong Kong when we first read about it and it was before it was COVID. It was just kind of a strange flu thing happening in China. And we were supposed to go through China and we were like, Oh, I think we were supposed to go through Wuhan actually. And we were, yeah. And so we were like, okay, we're going to change the plan a little bit. And then we, around the time things started kind of, it started to filter out of Asia. We jumped over to Australia and we ended up getting stuck there for, for nine months. So we just got back in November and now I'm in Detroit. So wow, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, so it was an interesting last couple of months. Yeah, and were you working on? So when? So when did you write this book? Where were you? So I, a little bit of everywhere. I had written a lot of it 
while we were in New York. And then I was doing kind of final edits in Japan, actually, in Osaka, I think we were at the time. I spent a lot of time there kind of polishing it up before before sending it out. So, wow. Yeah. So it always, it's traveled with me along the way. So I've worked on it a little bit everywhere, but yeah. Did you know writing it, the whole story, like how did it, I know you had the idea for Frankie and everything and the, you know, but like all the twists and like everything that happened, you know, with the friends and, you know, the end, I don't know. I had some of it. I tend to change a lot. I tend to like write a thing and then go back and kind of edit and change things along the way. I think the ending is probably one of the only things like the beginning and the ending is what stayed the same. And then there were little kind of things that, that I tweaked a bit like throughout it all. But yeah, that ending was there from the start. Wow. I wonder now, aren't like, I feel like now all the reviews are going to have to make this feel so meta, right? Like, you know, like <laughs> I'm writing a review about a book that centered, you know, that yes. not that the review is such a huge part, but just that it set off the trajectory yes. of the, um, of the yeah. story and how she ended up there. I also loved this idea of like an independent woman sort of living on her own and dealing with everything, whether it was directions or, you know, the stomping feet next door or what, and the crazy housekeeper and like all this stuff. It was just so neat to see, especially during that time. I just loved that. I loved that element of it. Yeah. Frankie, I love Frankie. I think she's, she's one of my favorite characters that I've written and she is, I mean, she's dealing with a lot, but she's also incredibly strong. And she's got Jack who also another incredibly strong female character. So I quite, I, I like that about both of them. That's kind of what drew me to their characters, what I wanted to kind of like instill in both of them to make them very different, probably for that time. But you know, there are women like that. So it's like, that's, that's what I want to see. That's what I want to read. That's awesome. If you were casting Frankie, who would it be? Oh gosh, I'm so terrible at this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I am too. But I was like about to say, oh yeah, she reminds me of someone that I couldn't think of anyone. So I was like, well, I'll just ask her. <laughs> I really don't know. I really do not know. Honestly, I, I, people asked me that for Tangerine and I was like, I have no idea. I don't think of, I, I didn't have anybody in mind when I wrote it or I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, I feel like you need to find a palazzo where people can come and like have this experience, you know, yeah. cause like, especially now, I mean, maybe there'll be more than one phone in a closet or something than there was back then, <laughs> but just the idea, like, oh gosh, if I could just like go to Venice and like hide in this old fashioned, like kind of spooky, kind of cool place. And just like wend my way around canals. I don't know. Maybe I'm just in a bad mood, but (laughs) that sounds so good. Yeah. It's very appealing, especially now just being, you don't know when that will be able to happen. So I think it makes it even more yeah. Yeah. Because I, I, I look back and I, like, I start to think about my time there and I'm looking at photos and everything. And it's just like, oh, I think it makes it even more bittersweet just not knowing when that will be possible again. And did you have any trouble either writing this or coming up with an idea after the success of your first book? I've heard that sort of the sophomore novel can sometimes... <laughs> I didn't. You know, I actually... <laughs> My agent is very nice and very patient with me. I wrote another novel before this one (laughs) and we had gone through it and we had done the edits and I was like, no, it just doesn't seem right. I don't want to continue with this. 
And so I kind of set that one aside and then I started on this and this just kind of felt right. This felt good, like right from the start. Not that the other one, I might still go back to it, but it just, it didn't feel like the right book for book number two, maybe. Interesting. So, well, how great. Now you have number three already ready. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's one of those ones I keep going back to. And my agent's like, what about that one? I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what it is. There's something I think I need to, there's something I need to work out with it. But I tend to do that. I kind of write a lot of one thing and then I change my mind and start something else. So I have a lot of unfinished novels. Is there anything you're doing like right now, like after this, you're going to go like back into some sort of story and keep going? I have something that I've just started. And so I'm hoping that this will be, this kind of feels like book number three, I think. So I'm, I'm hoping. That's great. Yeah. And did you always know, I mean, you mentioned earlier that you've always known that writing is your thing. Is it from, yeah. from the time you were a kid? Yes. Yeah. I just always loved it. And I, that was what I wanted to do. And I think I mean, that's what I went to school for, but I just don't think when I graduated from my BA and then my MFA, it just never occurred to me. I was like, that, that's not going to happen. I can't sit down and write a novel and get it published. Like, it's just never going to happen. And I just, I would still write, but not with any kind of clear like motivation to get it done. And I finished my PhD and I was having a really hard time finding a job there. It's so, it's very difficult to find a job in academia. It's just so competitive. And I was starting to really panic. And I was like, well, what else can I do? I I don't have anything else to do. And I had a year between when I graduated and when I got that job in Dubai, where I was just, I mean, I probably applied to like an upwards of like a hundred jobs. Oh my gosh. And just nothing. And so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to sit down. I'm going to write the novel because I don't know what else to do. I had this idea because I had gone to Tangier recently. And I think I always say like doing the PhD was probably the best thing I could have done because it taught me like how to complete something. Because I think before I would always get kind of halfway there, like, you know, three quarters of the way there and just like stop. But having had to complete an actual work, I knew kind of what I needed to do to sit down, write it all and and get it done. So I just kind of, I that year I just, finished it. And it was just, I mean, it was like months before I left for Dubai. I was like, I don't know what else I can do. I'm just going to send it out to agents. We'll see what happens. And, and then I heard from my agent like two weeks later or something. So, I mean, it was just like, it was, it was pure luck. It was kind of meant to be, cause I think her assistant was like out for the week. And so she was going through the pile and she never usually does of the submissions. And then she happened to find mine and was like, Oh, so. Wow. And then it happened really fast from there. So yeah, it was just like, it was like perfect timing. That's great. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So what advice would you have both as like a full-on professor and as an accomplished author? What advice would you have for aspiring authors? Oh, just finish it. Like do, <laughs> do the work and finish it. Because I think that was my number one thing was just like not, not thinking that it could ever happen. And you won't know, I guess, until you send it out. I mean, because that's the thing. Like, I never sent anything out. I never actually submitted anything. And I'm glad that I had all the, the academic background. I do think that helped me actually, like, learn how to finish and, and edit, like, revisions. Like, I know how to revise now from that. But I think the biggest thing is just, like, getting the work done. Just sitting down, getting the work done, and sending it out. Because you hear, like, I know a lot of people, they're like, oh, I really want to do it. and But they're just not 
sitting down and doing the work. I, that's, that's the only thing you can do is just plow through it and get it done. Wow. I think it's just, it takes so much time. It's hard to commit yeah. to something that's going to take so much time with no certainty of outcome. I think that's, that's the biggest thing that probably prevented me from doing it before. It was like, well, how do I know this will go anywhere? Right. And like you, you, you spend so much time, like you sit there from like morning till night, like going through it. And I guess just like believing that it could happen. I mean, I, it's a really tricky thing. Cause I know, I think that's what stopped me from really finishing it. Like not thinking it could ever happen. And yet here you go. If you don't write it, you'll never know. <laughs> you got to try, I guess. You got to yeah. try. You, you definitely won't sell what you don't write. So yeah. anyway. Wow. Well, Christine, thank you. This was so great. It was so nice to get to thank know you. you. And thanks for taking me on my little journey through Venice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was so great and really immersive and beautifully written and a real so joy, to, joy to consume. So Thank you. <laughs> all right. Well, take care. And I hope that all your reviews are really positive. Yes. <laughs> I'll be crossing my fingers and like reading, reading them eagerly and being like, uh, you know, hoping, hoping. So ignoring them. But yeah. Okay. I won't send you any, I promise. Thanks again to today's sponsor, the Baby Trend Cover Me 4 in 1 convertible car seat. Don't forget to enter my giveaway, and the winners will be announced at the end of this week. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music.